This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. A major overhaul of Ontario's $60 billion health care system is on the way. I speak with the province's health minister on what the changes mean for Zoomers. And as the federal government prepares to pardon Canadians for simple pot possession, the owner of a former Toronto pot dispensary is suing the province for damages after the Ford Tories capped the number of retail pot licenses to just 25. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Poverty is declining in Canada. Statistics Canada says in 2017, the average income after taxes for Canadian families rose to just under $60,000. This bump comes after two years of no growth. Children are the biggest group moving out of poverty, but there are also fewer poor seniors. In 2017, just over 230,000 Canadian seniors were living below the poverty line. That's down 16% from the year before, and incomes for older Canadians are inching higher, up 2500 bucks to $61,000. We've been through the Christmas season. People's families have come and stayed. We've had many tours in town, um, everybody from the Red Hat Society to our counselors. <laughs> People are really enjoying seeing how something that they've watched in our local newspapers to actually come to fruition. That's Martha Casson in a 2017 interview with us. She's an early adopter of the concept of home sharing. One of a foursome of Zoomer women who bought a house together in Port Perry. Now they have inspired a private member's bill to encourage home sharing by unrelated seniors. It's being introduced by Durham Conservative MPP Lindsay Park, who is calling it the Golden Girls Act. China is using facial recognition to prevent people from selling doctor's appointments. Hospitals are using the latest technology to ID people who sell doctor visits at an illegal markup, and over 2,000 people have been caught in the scam. Chinese public hospitals require patients to line up for appointments on the day they want to see a doctor, creating a lucrative market for scalpers to sell better numbers for shorter wait times. The communist regime is also using this technology to nab jaywalkers and even prevent toilet paper theft from public washrooms. A Canadian Zoomer who bears a striking resemblance to Donald Trump got booted out of Vietnam this week. 61-year-old Russell White, a Trump impersonator, along with a Kim Jong-un impersonator, were questioned by police ahead of the real summit between the U.S. president and the North Korean dictator. Vietnamese police demanded the pair stop the political satire. 
White says satire is a powerful weapon against any dictatorship. And we're here to make uh, politics great again, right? Yeah, I mean, hey. Comedy great again. A legendary American blues musician continues to wow crowds at 79. Beverly Watkins performed this week at a ladies' rock camp in Georgia. The award-winning musician who survived lung cancer is still capable of a few tricks, like whipping her guitar behind her head. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, the provincial government announced sweeping changes to modernize Ontario's $60 billion health care system. It's creating a new super agency by consolidating local and provincial health networks like Cancer Care Ontario to create a central agency. Will it end hallway medicine, as promised? And will it save money or lead to job losses? I talked with Health Minister Christine Elliott after she announced the new legislation at Queen's Park. We really appreciate you being with us. No, it's my pleasure. Okay, well, so far the reaction to what you have unveiled is mostly positive. But this is the biggest overhaul of our health system ever. So what could possibly go wrong? Just making small changes around the edges of our healthcare system was not going to achieve the kind of change that we needed to see for patients, their families, and their caregivers. So we do need this transformation. The status quo is not acceptable. We're seeing big cracks and, and pressures in our healthcare system. We've got over 30,000 people right now waiting for placement in a long-term care home. We've got over a 1,000 people every day in hospitals around the province that are being treated in hospital hallways and in storage rooms. And of course, the wait list for uh, mental health and addiction services is unimaginably long. So something has to change, and that's why we're moving forward with this transformation. Well, your government has identified the lack of coordination and continuation of care when patients move from one type of care or setting to another one as as the biggest problem. So how will this reorganization remedy that? This will remedy it in the sense that it's going to integrate care for patients. So if someone is in a hospital, they've had surgery and they're ready to go home, but they need some home care, what often happens is they don't know who's going to provide the care, uh, what care will be provided, or when the home care provider will be arriving. And often it'll be three or four, sometimes longer days for the home care to arrive. By that time, the person will have developed complications and very often might end up back in the hospital in the emergency department. Under the new system, patients will already know who their home care provider will be, what services will be provided, and the home care provider will already have information about the patient and will be ready to care for them on day one. The other connection that will happen is that the home care provider, perhaps will be a nurse, he or she will then be able to directly connect with the hospital team if complications develop. They will be able to get advice on what care to render, and the patient will be able to stay in their own home and receive that first-class service. That is a significant change, and it is all meant to provide better, more connected patient care. Right now, even when people know who their provider is and when they're supposed to arrive, they don't even get 
what they're supposed to get because of other pressures. You know, they've got to get to the next person or whatever it is. Yes, and we need to make sure that the appropriate care is provided depending on that patient's individual needs. But often, the home care providers, when they arrive for the first time, don't have the patient's history, don't really understand what their care needs are. And so time and is spent uh, trying to figure out what needs to be done. Often the care providers don't have the right equipment or supplies with them. That needs to change. You've identified a number of agencies that will be subsumed into the super agency, Ontario Health, yeah. as areas of excellence that can show the way for other areas. And I'm talking about Cancer Care Ontario. I'm talking about our organ transplant service. So the worry of people who are involved with those things is that those areas of excellence will lose as they're, you know, absorbed into this larger agency that may or may not be run by people with expertise in that area. So how would you prevent that from happening? Those agencies will be able to continue to do the great work that they do. It will just mean that the agency, Ontario Health, will provide the board leadership, but the people will remain in those agencies that provide, in the, in the case of Cancer Care Ontario, uh, some of the best programs in the world for cancer care and for renal indications. But we should be able to take the lessons from um, Cancer Care Ontario and be able to apply them to other chronic disease management strategies like diabetes and particularly mental health and addictions, which uh, really don't have much of an infrastructure at all. And those are the kinds of things that continue to contribute to hallway medicine when people do have complications from these chronic diseases or uh, people with significant mental health problems. They end up cycling in and out of our hospital emergency departments, and that's another reason why we end up with hallway health care. So, for instance, back to cancer care, I mean, right now, they make decisions on new chemotherapy drugs. So, are they still going to make those decisions, or is it the super agency that's going to be making those decisions? Because that's really something that can affect patient care. No, the people in Cancer Care Ontario will continue to do that work. They are the experts in cancer care, and we want them to continue to do their great work. So what is this super agency then going to do? The super agency is going to be responsible for uh, the coordination of excellent care throughout the province. So we want to make sure that people in northwestern Ontario receive excellent care, as do the people in Toronto, eastern Ontario, and elsewhere. There is a lack of consistency right now and a lack of common standards that need to be applied. That will be the role for Ontario Health. And Ontario Health will also be overseeing uh, the operation of the local Ontario Health teams to make sure that they are accountable both financially and with respect to the quality of care that they are delivering in the uh, various geographic areas of Ontario. Christine Elliott, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Libby. That was Health Minister and Deputy Premier Christine Elliott. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, not everybody is happy with how the province is rolling out legalized cannabis. 
You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. It started with a call into our daily talk show, Fight Back with Libby Snymer, when Doug Ford was still a candidate. If elected, do you plan to do what your party has done in Manitoba and allow small business owners to apply to open retail stores to sell cannabis? Or will you continue to allow Ontario to be run by government monopoly that only benefits a small group of companies run by Liberal Party insiders? Well, see, I like that. Jeez, you should be running for the for office. I like that. It's about the market. Let the market dictate. Why should certain retailers uh, have a monopoly on this and other retailers uh, get pushed to the side? That answer led Chris James to support Doug Ford, and after he won, James took action. He rented space, signed contracts, and paid legal fees to prepare himself for the new business. Then the government changed the rules, and now Chris James, the owner of Cannabis and Coffee, is suing the province for $1.1 million. He dropped by the Zoomerplex to talk about his case. Based on what Doug Ford had told the entire province over after he was elected uh, premier, he had said that individuals could own up to 75 stores in the province and he was going to open it up and there was going to be thousands of stores eventually across the province, enough to be able to supply the demand for everybody. And he had alluded to that you would need to have a retail lease with a, you'd have to have a retail location in order to make an application for a retail license for cannabis. You'd need to have a security plan. You'd need to have a business manager. He laid out the costs associated with your manager and the courses he'd have to take. And he laid out a, a whole list of requirements. What exactly was it that you did based on your question to Doug Ford in terms of an investment? I got a lease for a retail location downtown on Front and Blue Jays Way, and I started to make renovations, brought in coffee and ice cream because uh, I knew it was going to still be months, if not another year, before I was going to be able to get my license and to be able to distribute cannabis. So I was doing the same model as Tokyo Smokes and Second Cups and other coffee shops were making plans to get into the cannabis business with their coffee shops. So I tried to, you know, copy the model of other companies that were also uh, lured by Doug Ford's promise of an open market here in Ontario. How much did you spend? Well, uh, just in lease, I spent over $200,000 signing a lease. I mean, my landlord was very hesitant about the cannabis business, so I had to assure him that nothing illegal would be going on at all, and I had to pay a full year's rent in advance. I had to do a whole bunch of other requirements for my landlord, but all in all, close to a million dollars. The province announced that it was changing their minds about this because they said there was a shortage of supply. Is that not a good enough excuse? Well, I mean, a shortage of supply shouldn't mean that you suddenly open up a lottery to people that have no experience, business experience or cannabis experience. You shouldn't open up the market to anybody uh, that wants to apply for $75. It should only be, even if there was a supply shortage, you should simply make sure that It's only qualified applicants that will apply for those limited amount of licenses. And if you wanted it to be small business owners and not large corporations that applied, then at least make them 
uh, qualified small business owners, ones with some retail experience, having a restaurant, a bar, uh, something, you know, not just anybody with $75 and you don't need a business plan or any capital, you know, investment or anything. And why did you decide to sue the province? I'm surprised that nobody else has sued the government. I, I think everybody is scared to say what I'm saying or to, to file action against the lawsuit. We've had several companies reach out and talk to us and uh, congratulate us, you know, and even tell us their stories of what they have lost, but um, they're not willing to file suit against the government. I mean, I, I just want to bring this to light. And what has been the result from your perspective of the lottery system? Well, um, now we have 25 applicants that most of them have no business experience or as sole proprietors. And now somehow the system that Ford wanted to not have big companies involved in the first 25 applications, you have a bunch of inexperienced operators that have no choice but to reach out to those big companies for assistance in setting up their operations. So it seems the opposite of what was intended for the lottery system to begin with. Okay, we'll keep following it. Chris James, thanks so much for being with us. Okay, thanks a lot, Libby. That was Chris James, who was suing the province over the limited number of legal brick-and-mortar pot shops set to open in April. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, we celebrate a musician who is also a human rights icon. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. If you happen to be driving to Florida for spring break, you might want to check out the North Carolina Museum of Art in Raleigh, now on display one of the few complete sets of Birds of America by John James Audubon. In Vienna, the 300th anniversary of the founding of the Principality of Liechtenstein is being celebrated with a comprehensive selection of the most outstanding works from the princely collections. It's titled From Rubens to Muckart. It's at the Albertina Museum. Meanwhile, Carnival is in full swing in Venice. It runs until Lent. And for the brokenhearted, the Museum of Broken Relationships in Zagreb. It displays letters and personal objects of Love Lost, created six years ago by two Croatian artists after their relationship collapsed. I'm Bob Komsik with your International Arts Datebook. This weekend kicked off with birthday celebrations for Harry Belafonte, who turned 92 on March the 1st. Belafonte is best known for his career as a musician, but he's also famed for his lifelong dedication to humanitarian causes. He was a confidant of Martin Luther King Jr. and provided lots of financial support for the civil rights movement. He's also a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF, a passionate supporter of awareness and advocacy for HIV-AIDS in Africa, and he was an early advocate for prostate cancer screenings after he beat the disease in 1996. He continues to fight for humanitarian causes and in 2018 delivered a powerful monologue about the lynching of Jesse Washington in the Spike Lee film Black Klansman, in honor of Belafonte's 92nd birthday, we'll travel back to 1956 and hear his huge hit, 
an example of calypso music, and a work song sung from the point of view of dock workers on the night shift loading bananas onto ships. Here is Deo. Deo! That was Harry Belafonte with Deo, the banana boat song. The musician and humanitarian activist celebrated his 92nd birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.